We come to praise God from Psalm 96, the A version of the psalm, singing verses 1 to 6, page 224, the tune is number 257, 96A, verses 1 to 6. And this psalm begins with focusing on grace in verse 1. And as we come to church, we feel our unworthiness to approach God a God who is majestic and holy, as the psalm goes on to describe him, a God who's over all the nations of the earth. But this God is a God of grace, and we come in our inadequacy and in our unworthiness to this God through his grace, that grace revealed in his Son, Jesus Christ, and sending him from heaven down to earth to the cross where he died for our sins is risen again at the right hand of God. You see how the verse describes his grace, a saving grace, a salvation that reaches out to us and brings us forgiveness and new life in his son. So we stand to praise this God in 96a verses 1 to 6 and we remain standing for our opening prayer. Let us worship together. God of heaven, we bow down before you today. We come with praise and worship and adoration into your presence. Lord God of heaven, we thank you that we come before you not on our own merits, not on our own worth, not depending on our own righteousness or works or religion or efforts or ambition. Thank you that we come only through the merits and name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that his righteousness and atoning death is sufficient for us to draw near unto you. Thank you that you promise in your abounding grace forgiveness to all who repent of their sins and believe in your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for those tremendous exhortations to receive him, to look to him, to believe in him, and in so doing receive eternal life. 
And, O Lord God, we come based on your word and that revelation of your Son, Jesus Christ, unto you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that you have shown yourself a God of grace throughout the history of time. Thank you for that promise that you gave to Adam and Eve on the very day that they sinned, that you would send a Savior. Thank you for your grace in choosing David, the youngest, out of all the sons of Jesse. Thank you for your grace in sending your Son, Jesus Christ, not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Thank you for your grace in bringing your gospel to the ends of the earth, into those nations of idolatry and darkness and unbelief to which we have belonged. Yet, O oh God, we thank you that the light of your truth and gospel has gone to the ends of the world. God, we come before you today praising you for your grace. Forgive us, Lord, for depending on ourselves to earn your favor. Forgive us for those times when we think we are better than we really are. Forgive us for those times in, in bringing you down, Lord, in our thoughts and bringing ourselves up in our pride. We acknowledge these sins before you today. And we pray, Lord, that you will grant us the assurance and comfort of your saving grace as we hear it in Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Grant us, Lord, that assurance of your grace and acceptance and salvation through your Son, Jesus Christ, as we come and worship before you today. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah. Our Bible readings today from the Old Testament and then from the New Testament. Firstly then in Joshua chapter 5. Joshua 5 on page 180. And uh, boys and girls, there's a special Old Testament festival mentioned in this chapter, and uh, I encourage you to try and identify it, and I'll ask you at our children's talk in a few moments. Joshua 5, first of all, and then Matthew uh, 26. Let us hear God's word. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west, and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over. Their hearts melted, and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. At that time the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeath Haralath. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give to us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land 
unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? The commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Then in Matthew chapter 26, verses 17 to 29. Matthew 26 from verse 17. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Where would you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, He reclined at table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, You have said so. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave to the disciples and said, Take eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Shall we stand as we come to God in prayer? Let us all pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the measure of health that you have granted us today. How good and kind and gracious you are towards us. Thank you for your church, Lord. Thank you for your people. Thank you for the the sacraments, the signs that you have given to us, Lord, to help us understand your gospel. And we pray, Father, that you will use those to help us to appreciate your gracious and redemptive ways towards us. Thank you for prayer and for the benefit and blessing this is in our lives. As we pray and as we see you answer prayer, God in heaven, we thank you for this privilege and joy. And we come with our prayers to you today. We pray for America in this recent law change regarding abortion. We thank you for this, Lord, and we pray for the ongoing process and the outworking of this within the various states We pray for wisdom and sensitivity and skill. And we pray, Lord, that you will be honored and the life that you give will be honored. And we pray that much praise and blessing will come to many homes, communities, and lives through this change of law. We pray for our own governors that you will guide them and help them. And we pray that they will look to you for guidance and wisdom and help that leaders will have humble hearts before you and repentant hearts of the wrongs of our society. Lord in heaven, grant such change, we pray, in your mercy. Lord, we pray for your church that you will bless and prosper it, 
Uh, we think of the, the many uh, Bible clubs over the summertime and, and your word going out in various locations. And we pray blessing on this, that as your word is memorized and taught, uh, we pray that your spirit will work in hearts of young people and teenagers and adults as well. We pray for summer camps that you will grant blessing on the leaders and campers as they spend a week together. And we pray that friendships will be developed and we pray that your word will be effective and the example of Christ being lived out in the leaders will be powerful on the young people who would attend. We pray for Peter Gemfrey beginning his ministry in Knockbracken that you will sustain your servant and greatly use him and Jenny and their family within that congregation. Remember our students and their placements and pray blessing on them as they continue to serve you over the summertime. We pray for our own congregation here, Lord, that you will grant your grace and blessing. We pray for the deacons as they manage at Lower Mary Street and seek your guidance regarding this building. We pray that you will help them in this process and, and clearly guide them. We pray for those who are elderly. We pray for those who are unwell. We pray for those who, who are bereaved. And we pray especially for, for Linda and for Sarah at this time that you will be with them in these days, Lord, and, and grant them your love and comfort and presence. We pray, Father, that you will be with us as we prepare for our church weekend and the anniversary services. We pray that you will help us in that, Lord, and guide us, and that these will be great times of reflection and blessing as we spend those times together. Father in heaven, we, we thank you for being with Svetlana. She has traveled here, and we pray for her in her her new life here and this time she will be with us. We pray that you will meet her needs and bless her among us here. God, we look to you in our families, in our lives. We bring our hopes, our fears, our aspirations, our confession of wrongs before you. Lord, we bow down with worship and praise and offer these our petitions unto you. In Jesus' name, amen. We praise God from Psalm 97, uh, page 230, uh, singing the whole of this psalm. The tune is number 10. Psalm 97, uh, the tune is number 10. Here in this psalm, the glory and majesty of God is, is set out for us and verse 4 shows us the, the wrongness of, of images that, that we cannot recreate uh, this unseen spiritual glorious God and the, the position of the, the, the denomination that we have in the reformed tradition is that, that God has given us signs of his grace and of his love. And we've been speaking to the children of these signs, not, not in images, but in baptism and in the Lord's Supper. There are visible and, and tangible signs of the God of love and mercy and salvation. And so we worship him in this psalm. Psalm 97, we stand and we praise God.
We turn in Joshua and chapter 5 uh, to our study today, and it's the last in the introductory section to the book of Joshua. The battles will begin this evening in chapter 6, and then through to chapter 12 as Joshua and the armies conquer the land. But this is the last in the introductory parts of the, the book of Joshua, and we're looking today at the, the sacraments or uh, as some uh, believers would call them, uh, the ordinances. So Oliver Dowden, uh, he uh, resigned as chairman of the Conservative Party at 5.30 a.m. on Friday morning. Uh, he reflected on the, the drastic defeat uh, by the Conservatives in the by-elections and he decided that he could no longer support uh, his Prime Minister and handed in his resignation. Uh, now the word from Downing Street is that he jumped uh, before he was pushed. Uh, he got out of the way before he was fired in the reshuffle in the summertime. And Mr Johnston is disappointed uh, in his, his reaction uh, to the by-election defeats. But in contrast to that resignation of the chairman in the Tory party, the sacraments are an affirmation of allegiance to our Lord and Saviour. One attested meaning of the word sacrament is that it was the oath given by a soldier of obedience and submission to his commander. And when we think of the sacraments or the ordinances, as, as our Baptist friends prefer the term, this is a moment of rededication for us, especially at the Lord's Supper. As we are surrounded by the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the grace of Christ, we express in our hearts and fresh commitment our love and submission to our Saviour. So sacrament is this commitment of dedication to our Lord and God. And we're thinking today of the two ordinances or the two sacraments in this fifth chapter of Joshua. Baptist and Reformed and Presbyterian theologians are generally agreed that the New Testament ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper had their Old Testament shadow and counterpart in circumcision and Passover, which are found in this chapter today. So as we look through the windows into the church, we've been seeing different activities in Christ's church, different things, attributes, actions within the church of Christ in the book of Joshua. So we have seen in chapter 1 faithful service and, and that plan, that template set out for Joshua to conduct his, his behavior as leader of God's people, a faithful servant. We thought in chapter 2 of this this other insight into Christ's church of extraordinary or surprising conversions and the experience of Rahab. Christ's power is seen in bringing people to faith who had no religious upbringing. We saw in chapter 3 the presence of Christ with his church symbolized in the Ark of the Covenant leading his people down to the River Jordan. We've seen in Chapter 4, the historical connections within the church in the 12 stones set up and how important it is for us to, to realize that, that we belong to a, to a long history and tradition of the church of Christ. And here we come today to look through the windows again into the church to see what's going on in Christ's church. And we have once more this, this insight and this time it's the sacraments that are in the church of Christ. Uh, I'll be kind to the note takers and, and, and announce my points uh, before I start. 
So we're thinking today of the importance of the sacraments. Secondly, of the ineffectiveness of the sacraments. And thirdly, of the instruction of the sacraments. Let's think first of all from chapter 5 of the importance of the ordinances or, or the sacraments. And this is emphasized in this, this fifth chapter, isn't it? In two ways. It's emphasized, first of all, in that they are commanded. See in verse 2, after the long preamble in verse 1, we come to verse 2, God commanding that Joysha keep the sacrament, the ordinance. God commands the sacrament. And he helps them. Isn't it brilliant? This is our God. He helps them keep the command. He does it in two ways. First of all, by the unusual language in verse 2, the, the flint knife is only mentioned one other time in the Bible in relation to Moses in Exodus chapter 4, but he kept the sacrament. So there's this connection. Moses did it, so you do it. It's going to help them keep the sacrament. And then a second way is, is the timing of them crossing the River Jordan. They crossed the River Jordan on the 10th day of the first month. And in Exodus 12, when the rules about the Passover are set down, they were to take the lamb in preparation for celebrating the Passover on the 10th day of the first month. So here is God helping the people keep the sacrament, commanding them to do it, but also helping them to do it. And this historical connection to Moses and also in the timing and his impeccable providence that he brought them over the river Jordan ready to keep the sacrament of the Passover. But that's not all the reason why the sacrament is important. The second strand which emphasizes its importance is the priority given to this. We can get that, can we? Here they are. Blood is pumping in their veins. They've just come across the River Jordan. They've seen a magnificent miracle. They've never seen such a thing like this before. The waters standing still in this deep River Jordan, 10 feet down. They're ready to fight, ready to conquer in the strength of this God. The first verse emphasizes the weakness of the opposition. Their hearts are failing them. Their spirits are broken. Here is this prime moment. The land is ripe to be conquered. They've seen the power of God. That Their enemies are deflated in their opposition. But God says, not yet. Not until you keep the sacrament. And they linger there. And the soldiers have an operation. And it takes time, verse 8 says, for them to heal. They're vulnerable in this enemy territory. This is the importance of the sacrament in God's mind, in God's ways. We see this in the passage we read, don't we? There is Christ in the very evening of his crucifixion. But he celebrates the Lord's Supper. He's going down to Gethsemane to pray and how important that was. He's going to give that long sermon, John 13 to 17 in the upper room and how important that was. But alongside of those big things, was the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. The importance of the sacrament for us. Christ has commanded the sacraments, hasn't he? Baptism and the Lord's Supper. 
Some religious bodies have great value of the sacraments, so much so that the sacraments are equal to or higher than the preaching and reading and studying of the Word of God. Within the Reformed tradition, we in the way the church building is set up emphasize the supremacy of God's Word. We have the pulpit up high. We have the Bible in the pulpit emphasizing the centrality and elevation of the preached and read and sung Word of God. But nonetheless, within Reformed church buildings, the communion table is still there. Emphasizing the importance of the sacraments. But secondly, the ineffectiveness of the sacraments is highlighted for us in this chapter. We have this incredible contrast, don't we, in this chapter. We have one generation who have passed on, who have not set one foot in the promised land. Yet, They had the sacraments of the Passover when they left Egypt and of circumcision when they left Egypt. They had the sacraments on them, but they had no faith. And they didn't enter the promised land. On the other hand, we have the current generation under Joshua and they haven't had the sacraments. But they have faith. And they're entering in to the promised land. And this is emphasizing so starkly for us the ineffectiveness of the outward sign if it's not accompanied by the inward working of the Holy Spirit. One generation had the two ordinances but no faith. The other generation didn't have either of the two ordinances but they had faith. And you see the double use of God Verse number six. The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers. Isn't that incredible? This generation which had the sacrament but no faith, God had sworn to their fathers that he would give them the promised land. And yet their their unbelief meant God step in and and swear to them in a different way that he would not give them, them, the promised land, he says in in verse 5, because they did not obey his word. The ineffectiveness of the sacraments. The Roman Catholic Church, they believe in in baptismal regeneration, as, as you know. That at the very moment of baptism, they believe the Holy Spirit comes down upon the baptized person and changes them into a person who belongs to God. Baptismal regeneration, the sign and what the sign signifies is joined together in their doctrine and teaching. But this chapter and scripture is teaching us that that is not always the case. That people can have the sacraments, can partake of the Lord's Supper, and can be baptized as child or as adult, but not truly be a believer. And so Deuteronomy and Jeremiah, they are strong on, on advocating that the outward sign has the corresponding inward reality. That the sign of cleansing, the sign of discipleship has the corresponding inward spirit of cleansing and discipleship through repentance of our sins and faith in Jesus Christ alone. The sacraments are important. But sometimes the sacraments are ineffective. There is not always the inward working of the Spirit at the Lord's Supper or at baptism, joining the outward sign. Thirdly, the instruction of the sacraments in this chapter or the ordinances, if you prefer that term. And there's two 
lessons, isn't there? There's two instructions for us here in this fifth chapter about the ordinances. One is restarting. Isn't this a a tremendous chapter? See the second verse, for example, the second time. The second time. For 40 years, that sacrament, that ordinance had been neglected by the hard-hearted people of Israel. But here was a new beginning, a new start, the second time, a new opportunity for commitment and dedication. Forget about the past, God is saying. Let's start again, the second time. The language regarding the Passover in verses 10 to 12 is related to Exodus 12, the first Passover, and not to the only record of the Passover in the 40 years found in Numbers chapter 9. The people of Israel probably only held the Passover once in the wilderness. Such was the hardness and unbelief of that generation. And so the language here reflects not Numbers 9, but Exodus 12, emphasizing it's a new beginning, a fresh start. We're going back to that first experience of excitement and hope and the promises in the circumcision and in the the Passover of the land, leaving Exodus and its bondage and heading in to the fullness of God's grace and provision for us in the land of Canaan. As we come to communion and the Lord's Supper, don't we find that it is a a restart for us as we spend that week of preparation and reflection on our lives and confession and receiving forgiveness? There's a new beginning, fresh dedication and assurance that the slate is wiped clean once more. And we move on with God. The second instruction here is regarding the reproach of Egypt that is washed away for them. In verse number nine, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. The terminology is unusual. It's linked into the meaning of Gilgal, which means circular. And so the idea of a a circular stone and, and this rolling away of the reproach of Egypt seems to be tied together. But what was the reproach of Egypt? It was their ridicule of the people of Israel wandering round and round and round the wilderness for 40 years. There's that people who left us here, who went through the Red Sea, and look how far they've got. They're just up the road there, and they're going round and round. They seem to be lost. Where's their God? Where's all the hopes that they had? And they ridiculed them for 40 years. But now they've crossed over the River Jordan. They're in the Promised Land. And that ridicule of the people of Egypt could no longer be directed towards them. God says, today, I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt. Maybe not an exemplary action of mine, but when I was warden in Rennick House, the first day I had a meeting with the residents, and they were ready for this. They'd been looking forward to this and scheming, I understood, uh, later on. They wanted a TV and they wanted Sky connected to that TV. So in my immature uh, abilities as as leader of Rennick House, I agreed to this. And uh, we got the TV in and the Sky, and it was well used. So well used that when I went along to the committee meeting, they told me off and uh, said this was going to be detrimental to the the studies of, of the young people. So this went on, every committee meeting I went along to, that TV's never off, until in the December exams, one of the residents got 95%. So I duly went round and informed the committee uh, that I thought the TV was helping them uh, in their studies and not hindering them, and, and the reproach rolled away. And here's God's people, reproached for losing their way, For having a weak God. But on this day. As they 
They see the realization of the the sacrament of the the Passover and of circumcision and, and promising the land. That reproaches is rolled away. As we sit down at the the Lord's Supper and coming from a world which ridicules Christianity and and, and rejects our God and we sit there with the assurance of his forgiveness and the hope of heaven flowing into our souls as we take the bread and drink from the cup all the reproach of the world seems to be rolling away in the assurance of God's love and grace to us. The importance of the sacraments. Uh, You're sitting there, I know, and you're saying, John 4 says that Jesus didn't baptize anyone. So why are the sacraments important? Is our life not to be modeled on the life of, of Jesus? His disciples baptized, but Jesus didn't baptize. Aren't we to follow Jesus' example? Well, there's other things that that Jesus did that we're not to do, isn't there? He performed many miracles, and we're not to do that now. But but Jesus, while he didn't baptize anyone in his earthly ministry, he commanded his disciples to, to baptize in all nations. So while Jesus' example was not to baptize, his command is to baptize. And we follow his command recognize the importance of baptism in the church the ineffectiveness of the sacrament what a chapter this is teaching us that we can have the sacrament or the ordinance but not what the ordinance signifies we can partake of the communion and yet not in our hearts know that spiritual union with Jesus Christ Ruth tells me that I can't outrun a bad diet. That no matter how far I run or how fast I run, if I still continue to eat rubbish as I sometimes do, I I, I will never get to the weight or or the level of fitness that that I should be at. You, You need both things, the diet and the exercise to come together. And so in relation to the ordinances within the church, the baptism and the Lord's Supper. We not only need the sign, but we need the Spirit to produce the reality of that sign within our hearts. And the instruction of the sacrament. A small group of Scottish theologians emphasize that the sacraments don't teach us anything additional to God's word but they teach us it in a different way the preaching of God's word comes to us and it addresses our ears but the sacraments with the same message of grace and cleansing and love addresses our eyes that tells us of the grace and love of our God. And so the Old Testament church, they had God's word. They had the law from Moses, but they also had the two ordinances. And you and I, within Christ's church now, we have his word, but we also have the two ordinances. May God bless us and benefit us from both of these means of grace. We sing in closing today from Psalm 98, the A version of the psalm. Psalm 98A is singing the whole of the psalm. The tune is number 252. draw your attention to the second verse and uh, the words his great salvation he has caused to be made known and we've been thinking of that today haven't we made known yes in his word made known in his son but also made known in the two ordinances within the church baptism 
and the Lord's Supper. Let us praise this God who has made his salvation known to us. We stand to worship together. thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for this uh, wonderful journey uh, for the, your people as they went into the promised land and for how you guided them at every step, how you corrected them, how you set the proper priorities before them. Thank you, Lord God, for such instruction and guidance to us. And we pray, Father, that you will help us in our life and in our church life uh, as we seek to reflect your priorities and your ways. And we pray, Father, that these uh, two ordinances will be precious to us and their signification will be realized in our hearts, that, that we all will know that cleansing which water symbolizes and we all will know that partaking of Christ and his redemptive love that the Lord's Supper sets forth before us. Lord, may your word strengthen us and guide us and help us we pray. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit rest on and abide with you all. Amen. <laughs>